The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Amen. We can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4. We've been away from Romans for the last two weeks, and so I'm excited to get back at it today. And our text for this morning is Romans 4, verses 9 through 17a. All right? Be specific there. Um, And so let's go ahead and read our passage for this morning, beginning in Romans 4, verse 9. It says, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe, without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be the heir of the world, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. One of my favorite statements of Christ is found in Luke chapter 10. You don't need to turn there, uh, but but in that chapter, uh, Jesus sends out 70 disciples throughout the countryside of Galilee to preach the gospel. And and he also gives them the, the ability to perform miracles. And so these guys go out, they they preach, they they do ministry. And then verse 17 says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, if I were them, I would be excited too. Right? Like, that would be so cool to go out and, and have the power of Jesus and to be able to perform miracles like casting out demons. And yet Jesus responds in a surprising way. He says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. As cool as it would be to cast out a demon, a right relationship to God and a place in heaven is far more valuable. In fact, nothing is more important than being right with God. And no question is more important to answer correctly than how do I come into a right relationship with Him? And so if you don't have a biblical answer as to how 
you have a relationship with God, then I hope that you'll really listen to what this passage has to say today. Because you want to make sure that you have a biblical answer as to why you're going to heaven someday. And if you are saved, if you know the answer biblically, then I hope that this text will compel you to, to rejoice in the gospel that you've received and to go out and share that gospel with as many people as possible. So, so since it's been three weeks now, since we were last in Romans, uh, just remember that the purpose of Romans 4 is to support an assertion that Paul made in Romans chapter 3 that, that we cannot possibly become righteous before God based on our own goodness. There is no righteousness in me that can merit a relationship with God. No, my only hope of salvation is that the righteousness of God would be credited to my account by faith. So, so Paul makes the assertion in Romans 3, verses 21 through 31, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not by works. And Romans 4 it is here to prove that assertion through the testimony of, of Israel's chief ancestor, which is Abraham, right? And, and so three weeks ago, we saw in, in verses 1 through 8 that even Abraham was not justified by his works. No, no instead, uh, Romans 4 verse 3 quotes from Genesis 15 verse 6 when it says, and what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, now, now that quotation is huge for the argument that Paul is trying to make. Because if the recipient of the Abrahamic covenant, the father of the Jews, the, the, the ancestor of Messiah, if he couldn't be saved by his works, then who can be? And if Abraham was saved by faith, then, then all of us must be saved by faith. So, so verses 1 through 8 prove that, that neither Abraham nor anyone else can be saved by works. In verses 9 through 17, our text for today followed by demonstrating that neither can Abraham or anyone else be saved as well by circumcision or by obedience to the law. Now instead, Paul demonstrates that the gospel is good news because from the very beginning, God's intent was not to save people by works, by circumcision, or by law. His intention was to save everyone who comes to him in faith. And so we can be saved. That includes all of us. We can be saved by simply exercising the faith of Abraham. So, so notice first in verses 9 through 12 that salvation is by faith, not by circumcision. All right, Salvation is by faith, not by circumcision. Now, I doubt... I, as far as I know, we're all Gentiles in this room, and I doubt that any of us lay awake at night worrying about circumcision, unless, unless maybe you're about to have a baby boy and you're trying to decide if you're going to circumcise him or not. So, so we just don't think about circumcision all that much. But, but it was a very important issue to Paul's Jewish readers. And we're going to see this morning that, that Paul's discussion of circumcision actually has a lot of significance even for us Gentiles. And I'd like to summarize the argument of verses 9 through 12 with three assertions. Right? And the first one is, is that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. So, so notice that verse 9 begins with a question. 
It says, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? Now, now blessing, uh, that word refers back to verses 6 through 8. And and in verses 6 through 8, Paul talks about the blessing of forgiveness of sins. And that blessing of forgiveness is, is absolutely crucial because we are all sinners. And Paul has argued that there is nothing we can do to cover our own sins. If God doesn't forgive us, we are doomed. And and so verse 9 ultimately raises the same important question that that I raised in my introduction, which is, how can I be forgiven and how can I have a right relationship with God? How can I know that my name is written down in heaven? Where does this blessing come from? And, And more specifically, Paul's asking, Is the blessing of forgiveness restricted to the circumcised, or is it also available to all people who are uncircumcised? Now, Paul already told us in verse 3 what he thinks. And again, he mentions here in verse 9 that that his belief is that faith was the basis of, of Abraham's justification, not his circumcision. But but the question then for the Jew, and I think it's an important one for us to consider as well is what role did did Abraham's circumcision play in all this? You know, because the Jews know that circumcision is really important in the story of the Bible, right? Like it's not just a, you know, it's not just about a piece of skin or about some little, you know, detail of life. This is not on the same level as deciding whether or not to pierce your ears. Circumcision is a, it really matters in in the biblical story. So, So the Jews want to know, why, why does it matter? And, and, and what part does it play? And, and so verse 10 then goes on and, and asks uh, an important couple of questions. It says, how then was it credited, speaking of the righteousness of God, while he was circumcised or while uncircumcised? Now, now notice where Paul's moving in the argument that he quickly moves. That second question reflects on the chronology of Abraham's life and of God's dealings with him. So if Abraham were justified after he was circumcised, or, and this would be particularly relevant, if he were justified the same time he was circumcised, well, well, that would be a huge argument in favor of the idea that that the justification, salvation is applied by being circumcised. So, so, So Paul answers, though, that Abraham's justification, he answers in verse 10, was not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So so Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. And and folks, that, you know, to us, we're like, whoop-de-doo. But but that is a huge point in in Paul's argument with the Jews. And and, and Paul makes this assertion based on the clear testimony of of the book of Genesis. So so keep your finger here. And I want to just look at a couple of passages in Genesis. So, So turn back to Genesis chapter 12. All right, Genesis chapter 12, and we want to return to, to the very beginning of God's dealings with Abraham. And Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, is one of the most foundational, one of the most you know, rudder-setting passages in, in all of the Bible. It's Romans, or excuse me, Genesis 12, verse 1, God is speaking to Abraham, and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives 
and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now again, folks, what God says here is of massive significance to the rest of your Bible. So so God promises that, that Messiah will be a descendant of Abraham, that the one who will bring salvation, who will fulfill God's purposes, he will be a son of Abraham, and Messiah's blessing will flow uh, to the children of Abraham, the, spirit, the, the physical descendants, and then ultimately the blessing of Abraham will flow to every nation on the earth. He, he concludes that covenant by saying, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so really, that the rest of your Bible turns on the rudder of what God promises in these verses. And so, Abraham obeys. Verse 1, God gives him a series of commandments, and so he obeys those commandments, and he moves his family to the land of Canaan. And some five to seven years later, God speaks to Abraham once again in Genesis 15. So, so turn over a couple pages in your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. All right, so, so this is roughly five to seven years later. Uh, Abraham is settled in the land of Canaan. And, um, and so look at what uh, verse, we're going to read verses four through six. And so it says, then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this man, uh, speaking there of, of, of one of the servants in, in Abraham's house, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. All right, so, so the Bible says... That, that God makes this promise to Abraham. He says that I am going to give you an heir. And I am going to fulfill all of my promises to you through that heir who is coming from your own body. And then verse 6 simply says that Abraham believes God. And the Bible says that is when God reckoned him or credited him with righteousness. That is when God justified Abraham. And so Paul is simply pointing out that, that God here did not, and so Paul simply points out that God did not command Abraham to be circumcised until after that takes place. And the story is in Genesis 17. We're not going to read from Genesis 17, but, but Genesis 17 is where God commands Abraham to be circumcised. And the rabbis of, of Paul's day believed that 29 years lapsed between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. So the Bible clearly says that, that Abraham's circumcision had nothing to do with his justification. He was justified long before he was circumcised. Now, now that's a simple fact, but, 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 but it is so foundational, and, and, and specifically it's foundational because it drives us to the fact that justification is by faith alone. 
And that's foundational, but it's a truth that people really struggle to grasp and really struggle to accept. For example, if you were to walk around Apple Valley or or even walk into a lot of of evangelical churches that preach the gospel, and, and you were to begin asking people, why do you believe you're going to heaven someday? You know, even people, even people who know the gospel and, and even probably believe the gospel down deep, you know, they, they want to answer with something like this. Well, I got baptized. That's when I became a Christian. Or, or I turned my life around. Or I made God a part of my life. Or something along those lines. We, we want to think that there is something I did that brought me into a relationship with God. But the only answer that we should give to the question, why do you believe you're going to heaven, is I have trusted in Christ alone for my salvation. I've put my faith in Jesus. Now, now yes, lots of radical change takes place after we trust in Christ as Savior. But, but none of those things make me a Christian. None of those things justify. We are justified. We are declared righteous by faith alone. So, so I hope that everyone here is clear on that fact and that everyone here has indeed put your faith in Christ for salvation. And if you've not done that, you just simply receive Christ by faith the way Abraham did. You, you, you stop trusting in yourself You believe God, and you rest in what Jesus accomplished. So so Paul's first assertion is that Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised. And then his second assertion is that circumcision symbolized a previous spiritual work. Circumcision symbolized a previous spiritual work. Now, Now considering verse 10, the question that naturally follows for the Jew is, well, well, if Abraham was justified before circumcision, then why did he need to get circumcised? I mean, what's the point if he's already justified? And Paul answers in verse 11. He says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised. So, so Paul says that Abraham's circumcision did not justify him. But it was a physical reminder to Abraham. And I think as well, an important reminder to everyone around him that God had specifically, it pictured the fact that God had removed his sin and God had set Abraham apart to himself. Abraham's circumcision was a physical statement of the fact that Abraham belonged to God. And of course, God commanded Abraham to circumcise everyone in his house. And, and he commanded Abraham, uh, all of Abraham's descendants to be circumcised also. And, and all of that was, was, was to make a statement. Now, now, it's not because God is gory. It's not because God loves blood. And you know, circumcision, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a weird thing, right? Like, it's a weird thing. And, and so, you know, and we can question, you know, why does God do this? And, and we have to understand is that God wanted to make a clear statement. He wanted to give a clear reminder to Abraham, to his descendants, to the nations around them, that they were set apart to God. That God had set his special love on these people. They belonged to him. 
and they were to be devoted to him. They were God's. I think it's worth noting that that believers' baptism serves something of a similar purpose today. Now, now baptism does not make someone a Christian, right? So so we baptized several people uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and they all got into the tank having already put their faith in Christ and already justified. So baptism does not make someone a Christian. But but it does testify to what God has done in someone's life. It is a statement to the world that Christ has washed away my sins and I'm going to live for Jesus. And of course, it's a statement to that person as well. A a, a significant moment that, that should drive them for the rest of their lives to be faithful to Christ. And similarly, circumcision didn't justify anyone. No one's going to be in heaven because they're circumcised. No one's going to be in heaven because they're baptized. But, but circumcision testified, it testified to the Jews of their relationship to God. So, so, so sinners have always been justified by faith. No one will be in heaven because they're baptized. No one will be in heaven because they're circumcised. But, but why does that matter to Gentiles like us, right? Because you know, we, we don't care about circumcision. Well, Paul answers that it means everything to us as Gentiles, that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. So Paul's third assertion in verses 9 through 12 is that salvation is available to all who believe. Salvation is available to all who believe. Now, sadly, the Jews had largely missed God's fundamental purpose in the story of Abraham. I mean, it's true that that God intended to create a nation. And God did institute circumcision to, to set Israel apart from every other nation on the planet. They were God's special possession. However, God did not set Israel apart to create you know, a a 20-foot wall around Israel and to cut them off from all the nations of the earth. And what the Jews had missed in particular was that God did not institute circumcision to cut himself off from all the nations of the earth. No. I mean, Exodus 19, verse 6 says that God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests. So God called them to, to be a light to the nations. It was their job to be wholly devoted to God so they could effectively witness the gospel to all the nations around them. And that was clear from the moment God gave that promise to Abraham, right? I mean, he told him, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God always intended for the blessing of Messiah and the salvation that we know in Christ to extend to every corner of the world. You know, it's not as if, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if you think this way, but you know, we can, you know, sometimes we, we, we tell ourselves that God has plan Bs. You know, if the Jews would have accepted Christ, then, then all that we know of the church wouldn't have happened. But since the Jews rejected Jesus, now, you know, the apostles got a witness to someone, so they start going to the Gentiles. It was never a plan B. It was always God's purpose that the gospel would extend to every corner of the earth. And therefore, since God justified Abraham before he was circumcised, Verse 11 concludes, it concludes, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. So every Gentile Christian in this room should rejoice in the truth of that verse. 
that, that justification is not for an exclusive few. It is for everyone who believes. So it doesn't matter what, what you've done. It doesn't matter what your family has done, where you come from. It doesn't matter how shameful your past may be. God saves everyone who believes the gospel. So if there is some sort of shame or guilt in your heart that you think means that you are not worthy to receive Christ, that God would never accept someone like you, please see that that God promises salvation to everyone who believes. And that was his intention from the very beginning. And then Christian, give thanks that you are a child of Abraham in the sense that that you are an heir of the promise of Messiah. You know, when I was a kid, I hated it when we were in Sunday school and, and, you know, the the teacher said we were going to sing Father Abraham. I hated Father Abraham. You know, not because I, you know, I didn't mind, you know, you know, you know, right foot, left foot and all that stuff. I, I, I get, I get dizzy really easy. And so, you know, when we had to start turning around, I'd get nauseous and about throw up every single time. So I hated that song. But, but I am so thankful for, for the basic truth that's in that song. That, that the song says, Father Abraham has many sons. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And, and so if you are in Christ... You should praise the Lord, you know, not that you are a physical descendant of Abraham, because you probably aren't, but that you are a recipient of the promise of God through Abraham in Messiah. That is a wonderful gift. And then verse 12 adds that Abraham is also the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Now, now this verse is, is, is both is great news that, that Jews, that, that not just Gentiles can be saved, but, but the Jews can be saved also. But, but while this verse is great news for the Jews, it, it also would have been a very tough pill for them to swallow. Be, because we, we've talked about the fact that the Jews thought that just simply being circumcised all but guaranteed their place in heaven. I mean, basically, you had to do something really bad as a circumcised Jew not to make it to heaven. But, but God says, but, well, but Paul already said in chapter 2, verse 29, that heart circumcision matters far more than physical circumcision. And he makes the same basic point here. Physical circumcision is not going to get anyone into heaven. No one. And as well, we could add in our day would be relevant to us that getting baptized will not get anyone to heaven. Growing up in a Christian family will not get anyone into heaven. Taking communion or performing religious rituals, going to church, none of those things will get you into heaven. However, every Jew, Paul says, who truly believes the Lord and walks according to the faith of Abraham is justified. And it's the same for all of us. We must believe. And then we must follow in accordance with genuine faith. So if you have never put your trust in Christ as Savior, I mean, God is saying, just believe like Abraham. You know, I mean, what what Abraham did in Genesis 15 is not rocket science, right? God made a promise, and that promise was specifically related to salvation. 
and he believed the promise of God. And of course, we have to believe more than Abraham believed because we know the full gospel in a way that Abraham didn't. But, but I mean, think about Abraham. He's an old man. He has no kids. And God said, you're going to have a kid and you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham just said, you're God. I believe you. And that's what we do when we come to him for salvation. And so if you've never put your faith in Christ, please trust in Christ. And if you are saved, give thanks that it's that simple. That that we don't have to go through some incredible amount of complicated issues to come to God. We just put our faith in him and God saves. So so verses 1 through 8 of Romans 4 say that we are saved by faith, not works. Verses 9 through 12 say that we're saved by faith, not circumcision. And then notice that verses 13 through 16 say that we are saved by faith, not by law-keeping. And this section begins with another very important assertion. And that assertion is, is that the promise is available through faith, not law. The promise is available through faith, not law. So verse 13 says... For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So so the previous section, uh, verse 9, was built on the blessing of forgiveness. And, And here, this section is built on, as he says there in verse 13, the promise to Abraham that he would be heir of the world. Now, Now, that statement... Uh, heir of the world, it probably is intended to encompass every promise that God gave in the Abrahamic covenant. So, so God said that he would have many descendants and that these descendants would possess a lot of land and, and that they would be a blessing to all the nations. And I think from the rest of Scripture, we can see that, that ultimately the spiritual seed of Abraham will inherit the entire earth someday. And God is going to fulfill every promise of salvation to us. So, so that verse is, so, so Paul here is just simply asking, who will receive the full blessing of Abraham? And who will receive, you know, not just the land of Canaan, but, but who will receive the entire earth in God's salvific plan? Well, once again, Paul answers with a hard pill for the Jews to swallow. He says that this promise is not through the law, but through the righteousness of of faith. Now, now that's again a, a tough one for the Jews because the Jews they took a lot of pride in, in possessing the law of Moses. And they should have. Right? The law was a precious gift of God and it showed them so much truth and, and so much glorious wonder about who God is. But but the problem is is that the Jews thought that just the fact that they had the law and just the fact that they gave some you know, token external uh, conformity to the law was enough to earn them salvation. And you know, that's not very different from lots and lots of people in our day, right? You know, there's a lot of people in our world that take great pride in their affiliation with a particular denomination. And they take great pride in the fact that they go through a, a certain amount of rituals and do a certain number of, of external things that that religion demands. And so if you ask them, are you going to heaven or not? They're going to say, of course I am. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Methodist. I'm a Catholic. I'm an Episcopalian. 
I'm a Mormon, of course I'm going to heaven because I identify with a faith and I do certain things in keeping with that faith. Now, now, the interesting thing is, is that most of the time, they know they're not perfect, right? They they know they're sinners, and and they don't even try to keep every command, every demand of their faith. But, But they are still sure that God accepts them because of their identification with a religion. But God says that merely possessing the law is not enough. It is only through faith that I can attain righteousness. Now, now we've talked about the fact that the righteousness of faith here does not mean that my faith makes me acceptable to God. You know, it wasn't as if Abraham believed God and because of how much Abraham believed God said, God said, wow, look at that faith. That makes me love Abraham. No, I mean, look back at what he says in chapter four, verse five. He says, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So, so working and faith are two different things. All right? That's very important. Faith does not earn me salvation. It is simply the means by which God applies to us the work that Jesus did on the cross. But, but, but why is it that the law could never save? I mean, the law was a precious gift. And God spoke it on the mountain. Why could it not save? Well, verses 14 and 15 answer with a second assertion, which is that the law cannot secure the promise because we are sinners. The law cannot secure the promise because we are sinners. So Paul goes on in verse 14 and says, For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there also is no violation. So so Paul here makes his point by essentially proposing a scenario. So what if, what if becoming an heir of the promise was based on law? You know, what if obedience to the law was, was the means by which we come into right relationship with God? And again, that's what most people believe. If you ask them, are you going to heaven someday? They're going to say, of course I am. And they're going to then respond with something that they do or that they don't do based on some religious code or just some code that they sucked out of their thumb. But what would be the consequence if the promise of salvation depended on law keeping? Well, Paul answers that the consequence would be devastating. He says, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. In other words, if salvation were by law-keeping, no one would receive the promise because all humanity would, instead all humanity would be condemned. You know, have you ever had what you think is a great idea only to find out later it was a terrible idea? You know, for example, you're stuck in traffic you know, and there's all these cars lined up and, and, and then you look to the side and you see this empty road And it doesn't occur to you that no one else is going that way because it's a bad way to go. No, you think, I am the brilliant person here, and I'm going to go that way, and I'm going to find a way to get a shortcut. I'm going to get around all this traffic. And you bounce around for 30 minutes, you tear up the suspension on your vehicle, and then you get nowhere in the process. And we've all probably done it. Every guy has done that at some point. You know, we think we're smarter than the GPS. We think we're smarter than everyone else around us. We think we've got this brilliant idea, 
and it ends terribly. And God warns that that's what it's like whenever someone thinks that they can come up with a better way to get to God than the plan of salvation that he has laid out in his word. And people think, you know, they, they want to make up a way to God that, that fits their style, that fits the things that they want to do and the way that they want to live their life and makes them feel good about themselves and, and, and all these various things. You know, and, and God says that the end of any path to God other than faith in the finished work of Christ is destruction. It's foolish and it's deadly. But, but why is that? I mean, why is it that there is no hope of salvation in what I do? Well, well, Paul answers in verse 15. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is also no violation. Now, now I want to be clear here that Paul is not saying that the law is the source of wrath, as if the law is evil, all right? The law is holy, Paul will say in Romans chapter 7. seven yeah, Romans 7. The problem is, is that I am a sinner. So the reason the law brings about wrath is not because of something wrong in the law, it's because of something wrong in me. And so therefore, the law cannot produce genuine righteousness in an unbeliever. No, instead, it only can produce, as Paul says here, violation or transgression. And so the point there is not that people wouldn't sin if God hadn't given them the law. All right? They do sin. And in fact, Romans 5 is going to make the point that, that, that people, before God gave the law, they all died because they were all sinners. So, so the point there is not to say that there is no sin apart from the law. We are all sinners. However, verse 15 is saying that having the law does make sin more severe. Now, the term translated violation or transgression refers to an infraction of a specific command. Which, of course, makes it more serious. And I think every parent and every teacher knows this, right? That, that kids are sometimes foolish, right? And there are consequences to foolishness. But there are far more severe consequences when you knowingly refuse to obey a rule and go do your own thing. And so verses 14 and 15 are making the point that the law cannot secure the promise because we are sinners, God showed us what is right in His law, and we fall short every time. The law cannot bring salvation, it only brings condemnation. And that's because I'm a sinner, and so are you. And that's not good news. In fact, it's devastating news. But it opens the way for something infinitely better. So so notice that verses 16 and 17 make a third assertion, which is that salvation by faith is better. Salvation by faith is better, you could say, than law-keeping. And and really, he gives two reasons here why why salvation by faith is better than salvation by the law. And first, verse 16 says, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace. Last Sunday, when I preached on the goodness of God, I, I briefly raised the question, if God is good then why does evil exist? And that's a really hard question. It's a very complicated question, and, and, and it's one that we certainly don't have time to, to fully tackle today. But, but our text raises one important factor in God's purpose for allowing evil to exist. And specifically, the fact that we cannot possibly save ourselves means 
that our only hope of salvation is the grace of God. If it were not for sin, there would be no need of grace. And, and if I could earn the love of God, if, if, if I could demand that God loves me because of how good and wonderful and glorious I am, then there's no way I would love God the same. You know, it's only because I know that I am a wretch. It's only because I know that I am hopelessly condemned that, that I can stand amazed and wonder at the love of and the grace of God. You know, so, so it's not pleasant to live in a world of sin. But, but there is no need, there is nothing better for people like us than to know God. And the only way we can know Him is to know Him through our sin and ultimately our dependence on His grace. And so, and so praise the Lord that, that God set up His plan in such a way that we are dependent on the grace of God. Because you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know, those of us who believe the gospel, we worship God differently from every other religion on the world, in, on the planet. You know, every other religion, they go to church to earn the favor of God. Worship is designed as a way to merit favor and acceptance and righteousness and blessing from God. And we don't come in here on Sunday and worship God to earn something. We worship Him to express love. We worship him because we love him and we are thankful for what he's done. It is radically different. Radically different. And so we should be so thankful for, for the plan that God has established and that it is by grace and not based on anything in us. And then Paul gives a second reason why he has set up this, why it's better. At the end of verse 16, he says, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. Now, now we talk on Sunday nights uh, this summer uh, about the fact that the law, you know, the law did a whole lot more for Israel than just simply define what holiness is. The law also was designed to create a culture. It was the constitution of a nation. And, and so... And so that constitution, which was in the law, was, in was in designed to shape every aspect of life and to create a society, to create a culture. But, but with that in mind, the logic of verse 16 is pretty simple. If salvation were by the law, well, we would all have to become Jews in order to be saved. We wouldn't just have to be righteous, we would have to be Jewish which would be very different, right? And so, we, we, but we can't be saved by keeping the law. No, instead, God told Abraham from the very beginning that he intended to save people from every nation through the Jewish Messiah. And God reiterated that in Genesis 17. I mean, it's fascinating that the quote there at the beginning of verse 17, a father of many nations have I made you, that comes in Genesis 17 in the midst of God uh, prescribing and demanding circumcision. So, so even as God is giving the command to Abraham to be circumcised, to set himself apart from the nations of the earth, he said, I am doing this to make you a father of many nations. I'm setting you apart so that you can go to everyone. That's incredible. And the blessing for us then is, is incredible. That, that I don't have to obey Jewish food laws. 
I don't have to obey Jewish clothing laws. I don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. No, instead, I don't have to imitate all the, the culture of, of, of Jewishness. I simply have to imitate the faith of Abraham. I have to believe God. And when I believe God, I am justified through Christ and Abraham becomes my spiritual father. I am a recipient of the blessing of Abraham, namely of of salvation in Jesus. And God welcomes everyone who simply believes. So, do you have the simple faith of Abraham? Do you believe God when he says that you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself? Do you believe God when he says that Jesus fully paid the penalty for sins when he died on the cross? Do you believe that Jesus finally defeated death in his resurrection from the dead? Do you believe those things? And have you put your faith in the finished work of Christ for salvation? If you've not done that, then you can become a child of Abraham, and more importantly, a child of Christ, of God the Father, more specifically, by simply putting your faith in Christ. If you've not done that, please, please trust in Christ alone today. And if you are saved, I hope that you will be moved by God's zeal in this passage for the salvation of all people. I mean, notice, I mean, God's design, God designed His plan, verse 11 says, so that He might be the Father of all who believe without being circumcised. And verse 16 says that God did it this way so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So so God is clear in this passage that he is passionate about the salvation of all sinners. And he doesn't care where they come from, what they've done, what gifts they have to offer, how obnoxious and irritating they may be. No, God designed his plan of salvation to make it available to all people. And, And folks, we need to share God's zeal for the salvation of sinners. And it might be that there is someone near to you in your life that for whatever reason you've lost interest in the salvation of their soul. You've stopped praying that they would be saved. You've stopped working to share the gospel with them. You've just put that aside and it's not even on your heart or on your mind. I hope that you will be convicted by God's zeal and that you would make a specific plan for how you are going to reach that person for Christ. You know, I think tomorrow night when we have all these people come onto our property, some of them are going to look a little strange. Some of them have a lot of baggage. And when we look at them, we need to look at them with the heart of Christ and and, and have a vision for the fields, a, a vision to reach people with the gospel. Because, folks, God desires the salvation of of every person. And we ought to praise God for that. Because we're the recipients of that. And then we need to share His zeal for the salvation of people. Heavenly Father, thank You for this passage. And thank You, most importantly, for who You are. Thank You for Your love for sinners. Thank You for the perfect design of Your plan of salvation. 
that Lord Jesus came, he died, and that we can be saved by simply putting our faith in Christ. And Father, I pray that, that everyone here would leave having done that, and that we would leave then to go out and to compel others to believe on Christ and be saved. And so God, work among us, I pray. I pray that your spirit would take the truth of Scripture and put it deep into our hearts, that it would transform how we think, it would transform our priorities, our affections, and the actual practices of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.